Welcome to Season 1, Episode 9 of Dog Ear Nightmares. I am L.P. Hernandez. I've titled this episode Podcast Chaos for reasons that will become apparent when you listen. I've had this idea for a while and decided to just go through with it, where I would invite, um, I guess, the public at large, anyone who follows me on Twitter or saw the message, Um, as it was retweeted and shared. The idea was that authors could come onto the show, or I'm saying that like, you know, there's a studio audience. We would have um, an interview, which I would record and then add to this podcast. The thought process behind that, I kind of explain at the end of the episode, but there's a lot of work out there that is worthy of being discussed and, and people are worthy of, authors are worthy of having platforms to talk about their work and there just aren't enough platforms i think it was uh, maybe the first week of july there was a day uh, i guess the typical big release day is tuesday i think um tuesday there were i don't know i I saw some graphics kind of across the various social media platforms of like 10 or 12 different books that all look amazing that all came out on one day and that is um, that might be an outlier, but it feels like it's it's that way most weeks. You know, there's just so much um, awesome horror fiction being produced right now. Although there are several podcasts, you know, they all have kind of different um, uh, horror fiction podcasts. They all have different structures or... Um, so for, for example, Dog-Eared Nightmares, I mainly focus on books that I have read and loved. So it may be possible that there is a, a you know an upcoming book that I got an arc of and, and we'll discuss that. But for the most part, I'm talking about books that I read a year to 10 years ago, six months ago. You know, it's books that have been out there for a while because I want these books to have more than a three week or one month shelf life where they're being discussed and kind of Um, talked about on social media and I want just more exposure than that initial interview blitz that a lot lot of authors will do leading up to the release and then you know after that things kind of taper off and you're kind of left on Twitter or whatever social media platform you prefer to drive interest in your book Um, so that's what I created Dog-Eared Nightmares for to um, talk to authors about works that might have been out there for a little while um, and there are there are books that, or I'm sorry, there are podcasts that talk about upcoming works. Um, there are some that kind of stick to themes and they talk about books more generally. There's a lot of different kinds and, and, and styles, different uh, flavors of podcasts out there. Having said that, I don't think there are enough and that uh, there are enough that kind of stick to that model of new or forthcoming releases that people can talk about them um, to the extent that they deserve. As I said, um, these books deserve to be talked about. And um, so that's why I created this episode. My thought was to do like three questions, you know, kind of keep it short. Um, Either a work that was already out or one forthcoming kind of left it up to the author. And uh, for the first three interviews, um, we kind of hit about the 10 minute mark on all of them uh the fourth interview was someone that i've kind of had on my radar to talk to 
in um, a full uh, interview at some point. But um, she jumped in and took advantage of this opportunity. So we had a bit of a longer conversation. And then the final interview um, was almost an episode length on its own. Um, Just uh, a really easy guest to chat with. But I feel like I've spoken enough already. So um, after I put the call out, there was about a 20 minute period of time where that tweet was getting no reaction, no interaction before I finally got my first bite. You will hear throughout, I got many more bites um, because my cell phone will keep dinging with notifications on Twitter. Uh, But the first up was Lauren Bolger. And she came onto the podcast to talk about Kill Radio. We also ended up talking about the band Ghost. Um, I think the song I was trying to um, recall in the interview was Cyrese. But I, I think I, I end up saying Circe or something like that. Anyway, uh, the band Ghost about Patrick Wilson as a singer and querying 70, that's seven zero times. Next was OF Siri. We talked about her recent release, Backmask, as well as the upcoming Hellarchy, uh, which is an anthology that she is co-editing. I believe there are two other editors on that one. That'll be out around Halloween time. About how um, no matter what we tried, our writing was always spooky, uh, both being fans of the last podcast on the left and Tipper Gore. Next was a buddy, Ryan Bradley. We talked about his um, 2022 release, Saints Blood. We also talked about the movie Possession and about not being a jazz musician. Then was R.A. Busby. Uh, As I said, this interview went a little bit longer because we are both My Dark Library alums and it was kind of cool just to have a chat about what that experience was like um, for her. Her book is Corporate Body. We talked about her being a lifelong horror fan, doing drug studies in college, how awesome Joe at Cemetery Gates Media is, and as I said, um, the My Dark Library experience. And finally, is Zach Rosenberg. Uh, we talked about his novella, The Long Shalom, writing from a marginalized perspective and the power of extroverts. So this is the longest episode I have um, produced. Am I a producer? I don't know. Um, this is the longest episode so far of Dog-Eared Nightmares, and I hope to do more of them. So I believe after I put the call out, I already have a roster kind of of people waiting for the next opportunity to do this. So I will reach out to them first. But then if you follow me on Twitter, um, if not, it's at the, at the LP Hernandez on Twitter. It will most likely be a Saturday because that's what works to my schedule. And I don't know if this will be a monthly, every couple of months, or just kind of an in-between guests thing. But um, a couple other things. Do you hear how clear and crisp my voice sounds right now? That is a new microphone. It is the Blue brand microphone, not a sponsor. It's not going to sound that good uh, in these interviews because the platform I use to host defaulted as I was uh, making some changes, swapping out microphones, etc. Defaulted to my computer's microphone, the built-in. I can I can feel other podcasters kind of cringing right now. Um, and since I did these interviews back to back to back, I didn't pause to kind of check the audio quality 
Um, I had tested the microphone before I began the interviews, but you know that was on just my my computer's built-in you know uh, audio notes application. I didn't review any of the audio I recorded. I just kind of did one interview and then called the next person up. So apologies for um, the audio quality on my end. Uh, I will definitely, definitely double, triple check that I am recording through this lovely microphone and not through my computer's built-in microphone in future episodes. Another note, um, in the process of editing, a minute, maybe two of the beginning of Zach Rosenberg's interview was cut off. So what you're missing is basically me explaining that I met Zach at AuthorCon and then at StokerCon and how important it is to not just produce content. Content? We don't produce content. We produce stories. We make magic. Um, how important it is to write. Yes, writers, um, you have to write. I feel like that goes without saying, but I said it, so now it's out there. It's also important to be around other writers. Um, prior to moving to San Antonio, I lived in Alabama. There wasn't, um, even be, you may be surprised to learn that there wasn't a huge writing community outside of Montgomery, Alabama. Moving to a bigger city where I am now in San Antonio, there is a substantial horror writing community, writing community in general and horror writing community specifically. And so I've just seen um, a lot of things happen in my career that might not have happened had I stayed in Alabama. But if you are in your version of Alabama, then for those that can't afford it, because I understand I do have some privilege and that I, I am able to afford um, to travel to these cons, basically talking about how important it is for making connections for, that is a big part of it, but it's also just such a validating experience to talk to other people who do the same strange, lonely thing that you do. We sit in rooms, often alone, and we hallucinate on paper. It is really weird. But to talk to other people who may not find it weird. Meet your heroes. Uh, I met so many of my heroes at um, StokerCon. Make connections. I, I made connections that have impacted my career. I rambled a bit there, I didn't mean to. So that's kind of what I was talking about with Zach. Uh, so that part got cut off. It wasn't um, as long as I just uh, blabbered. It was, like I said, a couple of minutes. But apologies for um, the, the loss of uh, those one to two minutes. All right, I've talked too much. Um, maybe it's because I haven't done a podcast in like 10 days now. So I'm feeling the itch again. I do have some uh, messages to send out. Some people I hope might join me in future episodes. So um, check your DMs. Uh, that's it for now. Um, I think I've covered everything. Uh, apologies, I can hear my dog barking in the background uh, through my headphones. So I hope the audio is not picking up on that. Um, and I hope you enjoy this episode. There are, like I said, five authors, diverse works, um, diverse conversations, and it was a lot of fun. Um, let me know, for those of you that listen, let me know. If you enjoyed this, if you want to see more of this, I, I plan to do it regardless. You, you don't control me. 
but I kind of want to know what what you think about it. Is this um, something you want to see more of? So, all right, here we go. On with the episode. I am here with Lauren Bulger. I put a call out on Twitter for any of my mutuals or anywhere this message went for people to uh, write back and talk about something they had that's either upcoming or recently released. And Lauren Bulger, I'm here with today, is the first to take me up on this author. So thank you, first of all, and I'd like you to introduce yourself. Talk about your relationship to horror or writing horror. How did you come to uh, becoming a horror person? Oh, good question. Um, So I didn't start taking it super seriously until maybe um, five years ago where I was just consistently, you know, putting things out. But I've been writing since like, I don't know, I think I wrote up a short horror story in second grade. Okay. Um, we were supposed to write something and um, and I was already reading like I, I read a book um, by Mary Downing Han um, called Wait Till Helen Comes. And I think that's the one I basically just copied that and just made it, you know, all like tweaked all the things I felt like tweaking. Um, so it started with that. And then um, I was reading a lot of Goosebumps when I got a little bit older and then Fear Street, the Fear Street series. Um, so a lot of R.L. Stein a little Christopher Pike, but not a ton. Like I remember me was a book that of his that I really liked. Um, and then I, I don't know why I like volunteer this, but like I read so little Stephen King, which is so different from everybody else. Like I read, I read one book and then I saw like a million of his, of the movies based on his stuff. So I love his stories too. Was there an author um, that you substituted yeah. in his place? Was there another um, Stephen well, King for funny. you? Joe Hill is one where, you know, it's funny because it's his son, but, um, but yeah, I read, I read a lot of Joe Hill and I think a lot of, oh, Joe Joe Hill is his son. Yeah. Yeah. That that was a joke. I'm sorry. It's a little bit of a delay. It would have been better if it immediately said, if my weight had come across when I said it, but yes, of course I know that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I totally fell for it. I was like, oh my God. Um, yeah, the big reveal. Um, but yeah, uh, so like I, I started like lock and key. I started with that series and I loved it. Um, and then I think like reading some of his, um, like fiction, like his books, I think his voice, I started to, I think that's when I kind of found my voice. I was like, I think I can do something like along those lines. Um, that was a big thing, but then I also just love everything else about, you know, his writing and lock and key really blew me away. But yeah, that was a big one. So I was intru- I think the first thing I read of his was Heart Shaped Box, and there was a lot of hype around that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So mm-hmm. I read that, and I was like, it was fine, you know, it was okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I I don't get the hype around it. And then Horns came out, and I was like, okay, I get it. And then like it's it seems like every subsequent release, I'm getting it a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a Joe Hill fan, but it was just Heart Shaped Box had such. Uh, you know, such a following and, and such a momentum behind it. When I read it, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a ghost on the internet kind of a story. Um, and then I, I'm i anxiously awaiting the next thing because uh, I am a Joe Hill fan. It was just that, mm-hmm. you know, the introduction. So like, say you pick one of Stephen King's lesser known works. Like if the first thing you'd read was mm-hmm. Dreamcatcher, you're like, I don't get why everybody mm-hmm. loves this guy. Um, so the first thing I read was Heart Shaped Box and then subsequently fell in love with, with with future work so I understand that it feels like we've had a bit of a, a similar journey I think I was in second grade when I read 
Aliens for Breakfast, which is not a horror book, but it did get me. The next story I wrote um, was about aliens. So maybe oh, cool. trying to recapture that magic I felt when reading that book. So you have a book out. There must be something about that age. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, it is called Kill Radio. Why don't you tell us about that book? And uh, I'm sure it's available everywhere now, but go ahead and tell us a little bit about Kill Radio. Yeah, sure thing. Um, okay, so so yeah, kind of like from the very start, um, but well, I guess from chapter two, but uh, basically a, a five-year-old boy um, finds a uh, crystal radio in the back of his mom's linen closet and turns it on and he opens like a portal to hell basically. <laughs> um so so yeah that's that's the main part of it but um but basically like one of the big things is kind of almost a detective-y type story as well because there's there's a single mom who's Rory's mom um there's a warlock um and the warlock is sort of like the detective of the story and they're needing to find out um how a radio could possibly do this um how to make it stop like how to make the like the demons and everything stop coming up um and then like you know maybe is there anything else this radio can do or just you know basically that um but yeah it's basically like a single mom a five-year-old boy a warlock and a fisherman and they all have to like work together <laughs> to figure out what's what to do and um yeah so yeah that's, that's basically the premise what was the genesis of this story like where did the original ideal or i'm sorry idea come from um that's a good question too so I think like when I was in college is sort of when these characters started coming to me and there wasn't a story at that point yet but the first thing is the fisherman Stanton Avery like I had this vision which it never ended up in the book but just basically him being this like recluse on the beach like nobody ever saw him come in or out um he was always like you know just going he would go fishing and feed himself and like like no one ever saw him leave the house but they knew somebody lived there um it's a similar function like was her, the estranged father sort of ends up that way in a way um but yeah that was the first and then the radio came later too like the story itself like didn't even have the radio the first time I wrote it and then I rewrote the whole thing and I was like it needs like something tying everybody together um, you know, like a, it's one of those where like there's a signal and it sends the warlock over to come find them. And then he sort of lies about why he's there to begin with. Like he pretends he just like happens to meet people um, so that he can get closer to the radio. So, you know, basically it just didn't have like any glue tying all the characters together. So I had to add that in. So that came later, which is weird. But yeah. And you said this is these characters have been around since college. I briefly looked at your bio before we started speaking and we're approximately the same age with within a year of each other oh yeah so, oh, so that's cool. been a, a while for you that you, you've had these characters in your mind yeah definitely um I let's see so I finished writing it like kind of during the pandemic and then I queried it like I sent it out like 70 times before it got published uh so there's that but but yeah I also I wrote the whole thing in 2015 and then I rewrote it like and close to you know maybe like a year or two years or something before COVID is when I started it and it took forever uh so so yeah I, I eventually ended up there but but yeah it took a long time so I have a lot of writers that listen what was the query process like for you you said 17 times you've queried 
oh 70 seven zero seven zero oh okay <laughs> 17 would have been cold if yeah. it was 70 okay talk yeah, about that it process was... yeah sure um so i started querying agents at first um like every single one i could find and then i feel like i think i ran out of agents and then um like some of my friends in my writing group were um talking about like indie presses and then the more that i was like on twitter you sort of get to see which ones you're like oh i would be so cool to be published by these guys or whatever and i like all the horror ones i could find i sent it to it was not a fit with those um and then i ended up malarkey books ended up publishing me which is actually like they're generally lit fic but um, but they definitely have some horror titles. Um, there are I think I'm, I'm I would say I'm one of four horror titles that they put out. Um, and then other otherwise they put out like poetry collections, um, lit fic like f fiction, but then also even like nonfiction. Um, they put out at least at least one nonfiction or or historical fiction like that. You know they so they have like kind of a big range of different titles. But he he enjoys horror if it, if he likes the story. So. Yeah. So finally, I ended up with them, which I always thought they were cool, too. So when I sent it there, since like, you know, I didn't I don't think I even knew I saw they had one horror collection that was like um, cryptids. It was like uh, it came from the swamp is the name of that one um, edited by Joey R. Poole. And I was like, that's kind of I mean, like they were like lit Vicky with like some horror elements. So I was like, I'm going to just try and I did not expect to get in and I was like so floored when when I got in because I'm a big fan of that that press so well congratulations yeah. um and, and the cover art to this is is incredible mm -hmm. I, were you happy were you part of that design at all and the radio tower the uh flora coming out of the radio tower yeah 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 so um I we at, at Malarkey I mean I don't we get to pick which artist and everything we have like we get to we have a you know a budget and then we get to mm -hmm. kind of pick and like even he basically lets us like work with the artist and come up with um you know and Evangeline Gallagher uh is the artist for the cover and um yeah so the I think I had a few different ideas but um the radio tower with the moonflowers wrapped around that was like I think one of the one of the my favorites and um yeah they they killed it it's it's amazing <laughs> they did such a great job well this was an experiment lauren you were the first person to take me up on it so i appreciate that um what else do you have coming out if, if, if it's just kill radio right now that's completely fine but is there anything else we can look forward to um let's see i have um there's a ghost it, the band ghost inspired um short story anthology that is it's out this month and um yeah basically you would get to like pick your own favorite ghost song and then write a story a horror story based on that um and yeah so that's out this month and i think the the editor just got uh the physical copies like today so that's pretty cool have you um, heard the new song okay. with patrick wilson yes yeah i have oh so cool you've heard it too mm -hmm. It's it's a bit yeah. different, but I, I like it. I I I kind of forgot that he has a history. Like he's a, he's not a singer, but he has sung before. Well, he was in Phantom of the Opera, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's so funny because I I like I tweeted about this, and I I like keep bothering people with this fact. But there was I was listening to um Tobias Forge, the front man. Mm -hmm. Like I was listening to an interview he did. Like I can't even remember when, but he was in the UK when he was doing the interview. And he was like, I just saw Phantom of the Opera and he was talking about it at the time. 
And he was like, I think that's like part of like what inspired like, you know, the gothic aesthetic of mm -hmm. ghosts and like all of that. And I was like, oh, that's so cool because that's like my favorite musical. Um, I feel like it's a lot of, of horror authors' favorite musicals, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, and then he was like, and I, can we, well, I won't swear, but he was like, I, and then he goes, I effing hate Raoul, like the character. And I was like, but he's like the hero of the story. <laughs> but then I was like, but if you picture um the front man of ghosts he's like he's so much like the phantom so like maybe he's like oh Raul like messed up his whole thing so it's like okay well maybe that's why he hates him but then also um that's who Patrick Wilson played when he was in phantom so I just thought that was funny it's like a weird thing anyway. full circle for that one <laughs> yeah uh, is it yeah. is it Circe Cyrus Circe is that I'm, I'm mispronouncing it but that's my favorite ghost song I love that one. It's it's so good. There's yeah, yeah I, me that, too. I love that one so much. I, I think Square Hammer would be next, but um, well, thank you. Uh, I am so appreciative that this idea wasn't a complete failure because this tweet would have come down with no takers. So thank you very much, Lauren, for joining me on Dog-Eared Nightmares. Awesome. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for chatting with me, and thanks for that was this been cool. So thanks. Nice nice talking to you. So I am here with O.F. Cieri, uh, that is C-I-E-R-I, -E and we're here to talk about two projects, okay? So let's begin with your project first. Actually, let's begin with you, yourself. Let's talk about your relationship to horror. How did you come to horror? How did you come to writing horror? You know, I actually uh, worked into horror a little bit late because when I was a kid, I believed you know how when you're a kid and your parents tell you something about yourself and you believe it for a really long time? Yes. So I was like, oh, I'm really bad at horror. I don't like scary stories. So it took me a really long time to until I looked back and I realized that I was like reading the uh, spooky stories to tell in the dark, you know, when I was like five years old, stuff like that. Normal spooky kid behavior. So then I started to get into horror movies. Uh, I always really liked scary books. And um, I just always felt as if not hindering myself in terms of like discussing darker topics was the better way to take my writing. Okay. So when did, the, when did the writing become a part of that? Um, I mean, I was always trying to get into it. That was always the medium that I wanted to work with. And once again, it seems as if like, no matter how many genres I tried to fulfill, it ended up all being spooky stuff. Or at least it fit better under a, a horror um, the horror umbrella than any other. Okay, that's awesome. Um, I'd say same for me. Uh, my, every story I, I tried to write ended up evolving into horror, like as a kid. So yeah. it sounds like we had kind of a, a similar experience there. And you are, coincidentally or not, you're here to promote two things. And one of the things you're promoting is a co-editing with someone who I just interviewed. So mm -hmm. start there. Um, we 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 just welcome Lauren. Um, can you talk about the project you're co-editing co with Lauren? Mal Malarkey Books, the publisher that we both publish under, has an annual anthology for horror stories every Halloween called Hellarchy. So it's Hellarchy, as if there's you know malarkey in hell. And this year, uh, the Hellarchy anthology is being edited by me. Lauren Bolger and Eric Williams, who are two other authors on the publishing house. Uh, 
we are going to be accepting 21 stories, I believe. Um, we are in the middle of acquiring them. We're going to be begin editing very soon, and it should be ready to print just in time for Halloween. No so theme, these, it's just scary stories. Are these already accepted, or is there any wiggle room for my, my authors that are listening to send something now? Okay, she's shaking her no, head. Go ahead. No, there's there's no there's no wiggle room. Sorry, guys. Okay, no worries. Thank you. I appreciate that. Not looking for myself. I'm totally advocating for the audience. Okay, so uh, that'll be coming out before Halloween or around Halloween? Around Halloween, yeah. Okay, awesome. And then you wrote something yourself. Why don't you pitch us that book? Uh, so the book that I got came out with on Malarkey Books came out in June. It's called Back Mask. It is the story of a guy who keeps having visions about this weird new sound. Uh, it's 1962. This music producer is trying to keep up with uh, the wave of pop music that's pushing through the 60s. He hears this weird sound. He he wants to make it real, but he actually does not have the kind of technical training that will get you a good music composition. So he starts asking people for help, and he ends up involved in an international conspiracy that invents backmasking. And if you don't know what backmasking is, it is uh, it was a conspiracy theory that there were hidden messages in pop music uh, recorded backwards in famous tracks. So yes, when you said you told me the title of this and you said backmask by Malarkey, and I was like, okay, cool. I didn't even uh, like correlate that to my childhood, where I was a huge Bone Thugs and Harmony fan, and uh -huh. and I've I've since moved on to metal, but I was a huge rap fan in the in the nineties, and they had a song that was completely reversed, and I think it was oh cool for their their uh, what second album. It was basically a, a backwards version of a song that was a hit on their first album. So, and then of course there was the oh, Marilyn, cool. Marilyn Manson stuff. I think we all heard about like, oh, he back masks. And I think even before that there was Ozzy. So that's awesome. There was Ozzy. Actually, one of the most famous really early ones was uh, the Led Zeppelin song, you know, Stairway to Heaven? Of course. So supposedly the original backmasking conspiracy theory was that if you played Stairway to Heaven backwards, uh, Stairway to Heaven sounds like, oh, sweet Satan. Yep. And that drove kind of those 1980s uh, hearings, I think, with Dee Snyder talking about like, yeah, that, yeah, the explicit lyrics, that label that doesn't I'm sure that the the generation preceding ours doesn't even know what I'm talking about right now. But it used to be you couldn't buy music if you were a certain age because of some stuff yes. that happened in the 80s, Tipper Gore, if I remember correctly. And uh, now that's not even really a thing anymore, but that kind of came out of that whole environment of the backmasking and the, you know, the, oh, sweet Satan stuff like the devil is my strawberry. No, that's actually, that's from a boy's life with Robert uh, McCammon. Sorry. I, I kind of drifted a little bit there, but um, so that's awesome. Uh, Backmask was that the idea of backmasking itself, the drive to write the story, or did you have kind of a story and you weaved backmasking into it? I was always kind of wondering like where, like, not where the story originated, because like I said, it's from Stairway to Heaven, but what kind of guy would have made backmasking? And I was listening to uh, last podcast on the left who did this kind of round table episode. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan. Sorry, I started like, um, I don't know what it is, fluttering my fingers that it like other than my <laughs> own podcast. I'm a huge live podcast fan. I actually saw them live in Austin uh, just a few months ago. Anyway, continue. Sorry. I saw them live at. 
No, no, no. They were they're they're great. I was listening to this one episode that they did it was kind of like a relaxed fit roundtable yeah. discussion where they all brought different topics. And one of the topics was, you know, Marcus is a big fan of music history. So he was like, oh, fun fact, guys, I'm going to talk about this really early rock music uh, producer who's kind of like a pioneer of electronic music called Joe Meek. And this guy was like, I mean, obviously it was the early 60s, so a lot of people were World War II veterans. So when I say he was a World War II veteran, not really that unusual for the time, but he was like, probably had a bipolar disorder, uh, believed that he had visions of the future. He was convinced that he predicted the death of Buddy Holly and would go around cemeteries recording stuff, trying to find ghost noises. But as a result, he was also really interested in using recording and like, the actual production side of music as a form as a, as an instrument to compose with and that created some of the very first electronic music so he's known long term as the telstar man because telstar was one of the very first electronic songs that was popular and it was named after a sat- satellite it's like space themed 50 percent of the time when i do these interviews i'm wearing a last podcast shirt so i feel really dumb right now that i'm not wearing one but it's so awesome to meet you. somebody yeah it's okay um, just know, you know, I know all the stuff. I know, yeah, I know Marcus is a big music guy. Um, that's so, so, so awesome. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah. So we have two books, um, Back Mask, which you released, and then Hellarchy, which is forthcoming Halloween timeframe. Yeah. Um, anything else coming out that we should be looking for? Well, you know, one more thing uh, that I actually came out with was back in February, I came out with a short story collection on a uh, press called Castain Publishing. It's illustrated, 22 stories. Um, here's my copy. I can just put it in front of the screen. It looks really cool. Yeah, that looks Ta-da! awesome. Yep, that's it. It's also very spooky. What is that collection called? Lockdown Laureate. It's more prose and poetry. Okay. I'm guessing you had a lot of time in the past three years to write something like that based on the title. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you so much. A lot of time um, to write. O is is who is how people know you. O F Siri, if you're looking for her, um, I will include links to everything we just talked about. And thank you so much for taking me up on this random Twitter offer to have a, a conversation in the spur of the moment about all of these awesome projects. I mean, thanks for deciding to do this spur of the moment. I actually had it planned like all day, but I was like, I can't tell people about her. My 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 ams are you know my dms are going to be flooded and my notifications right now are, are like the worst they've ever been but thank you for being number two hey no problem all right i appreciate you thanks again i'm here today with a friend thank you ryan for uh being the third person to take me up on this strange idea i had of uh just having a, a kind of a spur of the moment interview so you're here hey. today to talk about your book saint's blood but first I've been in your house before. I've eaten your hamburgers yeah. before. My kids have eaten your hamburgers. Um, and, and I actually have still two of your DVDs. So I'll have to get those back to you. Um, yeah. You're a horror guy. I can tell. Um, talk about your relationship to horror and then how you came to writing horror fiction. Hey, I mean, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, this is great. I'm really excited to, to chat. Um, I was a musician until I was 18. I was convinced that like, that was going to be the thing. I was going to be a rock star. And then I applied to all these music schools. You go through this like rigorous audition process. 
and you have to audition as either a jazz musician or a classical musician unless you go there's one particular school the la the la git the guitar institute of technology where you can actually play rock music so i basically i didn't want to go there so i tried to learn jazz in like a nine-month period and i absolutely crashed and burned and all the schools rejected me and i was like well shit, that means i can't be a musician what should i do and i was like stephen king books so i decided to to be a writer um trading in one unrealistic dream for another one. And I really went in on it. Um, in college, I was uh, not forced, but I was asked to write literary fiction. So I wrote that for a long time. Then I went to graduate school, where it was the same kind of thing. So it was like seven years of intensive literary fiction training. My last year of grad school, I was like, wait, like I don't really like this, but I really like horror. So why don't I start doing horror? And I did. And I watched uh, Time Out London's top 100 horror movies, just like start to finish in a two-month period. I got the shakes because I was watching so many horror movies. Um, and I just really like went full bore into horror in any way I could. Um, that was five or six years ago now. I've just kind of been writing horror since. So which of the top 100 are duds? What do I need to stay away from? Oh, man. So I've been rewatching some of the ones I didn't like. Like I rewatched The Wicker Man for a podcast we're recording tomorrow for my podcast for Hangover. Um, cheap pop there. Uh, but yeah, so I, I didn't like The Wicker Man when I watched it, but I do really like it. Like I really liked it when I watched it today. Um, I think like The Omen does not land for me because I don't think there's enough between that like, I mean, I don't know, The Omen does not land for me. And there's some others that I didn't love. But in general, I think they were mostly good. Um, I got some like really weird stuff, like uh, Possession by the Polish director whose name starts with a Z, that I'm is not that, gonna try to say. Is that the one that's been on Shudder recently? The Possession, is that the- Yeah, it was Sam, Sam Neill and Isabella uh, Ajante, I think her name is. I have no idea what happened in that movie, but I, I watched the entire thing and I'm like, uh, I don't know what I just watched, but I was entertained the entire time. Like the the- scene by scene the reactions and the acting like no that movie could not be made today i mean i think you could but it couldn't be made then either i think it's like the weird thing about it because it's just so out there and it's so surreal and over the top it's like uh i don't know i feel like watching is like putting your foot in a lawnmower and just like everything is so extreme the entire time i feel like it hurt me deeply all three times i watched it and then I like read a Wikipedia article, like Sam Neill's character is a secret agent. It's like the first time the Wikipedia article, I was like, I did not know that after watching this movie three times. I had no idea that he was a secret agent this whole time. I, I didn't have an idea of that until now. So I, yeah, I don't no, know if that wild. changes anything for me, but that's, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on Shutter. if you're a subscriber. It's bonkers. I think Joe Bob yeah. did a version of it. I think they covered it. Oh, man. Uh, so if you if you watch the last drive in that that was covered I don't know, a couple of weeks ago at this point we're uh, mid July two thousand twenty three um, Ryan we've met in person yes. I bought a burger for you I think or my wife did uh, so we're friends I, I consider us yeah. friends we see yeah. eye to eye because we're approximately the same height and as far well, as like uh, go ahead Brenda called us uh, compact kings right compact king I'll, I'll yeah I approve. So Saints Blood, you brought that to Ghoulish, and I'm pretty sure you sold out. I brought 40 copies, and I sold like 30. Okay. So 
I'm very happy with the results. I'm not uh, unhappy, but I think it would be un, uh, technically not a sellout, but a very good showing. So I flew to Virginia for AuthorCon uh, and I sold about 30, which means Heck I yeah. returned with about 100 in my luggage. Oh. Really taking advantage of that uh, military don't have to pay for their baggage. Um, but ha I've met you a couple times now. Um, Saints Blood. I know the gist of it. Can you pitch it for our audience? Yeah, it's the story of a college professor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He gets kidnapped by the family of one of his students, and he wakes up and they're taking his blood every couple of days. He doesn't know why, and he's trying to figure it out, and he's trying to escape. Um, Zach Ashford described it as uh, misery with a supernatural element, and my friend L.M. Brown, who's a good literary writer, uh, described it as misery meets the Goonies. Okay, so there's a coming-of-age element as well. Well, uh, Richie, the main character, is a, is a grown-up at that point, so he's not coming of age, but he is kidnapped by some, some younger people. Okay. Not children. It's not like a Let's Go Play at the Atoms young, um, but the younger. Okay. Um, so you ha had a period in college where you decided that uh, horror was your thing and you were going to write it. What was your inspiration? So I have an uncle. Um, what's his name? He's my grandfather's uncle, St. Rafael Gizari Valencia. It's Max. What? Max. We'll just call him <laughs> Max. Yeah, but so he uh, was actually canonized when I was in high school. And it was like a big deal. And I was walking through the Emerson Library, went to grad school one day. And I thought, like, wouldn't it be weird if someone thought, like, the blood of like the descendant of a saint had magical properties which i guess is kind of a spoiler for the book but yeah i went with that it's been very good it's been mostly good responses um christine pfeiffer from mothers of mayhem uh podcast said that was her number six book of 2022 which i'm super proud of yeah, and the amazon reviews are great the goodreads reviews are mostly good it's been a very good response um i thought because it's like a politically charged book that people would be like threatening to, to murder me and such. And I've gotten none of that yet. And so I feel very good that that wasn't the feedback because that's kind of what I was expecting. So this could, I don't know, I'm dipping my toe here a little bit. Um, Ryan, what do you have coming out next? I have two short stories coming out. So I have a story coming out in Fish Gather to Listen and by Horns and Rattled Press. And I have a story coming out in Tales to Terrify. Okay, I also awesome. have a book out on submission, but I don't want, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. That's a podcast, Tales to Terrify, if I remember correctly. Tales to Terrify is a podcast, yes, okay. sir. And, and I also book have a book submission. out on submission, which I'm not going to say too much about that until there's a, a contract signed. But I'm hopeful it'll get picked up somewhere good soon. Uh, is this novel, novella? It's a very short novel, so it might okay. end up getting edited down to a novella if it gets accepted. But we'll see. That's all in the, in the future and out of my control, really. Okay, awesome. And you also have a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, Horror Hangover. We uh, pick one horror trope. Um, my favorite episode is probably still, we did one on non-animal shark attacks. And we brought in a veterinarian. We talked about the history of animal attacks in movies. We didn't do shark attacks because my co-host Cass is terrified of the film Jaws. I've been trying to convince them. I've been slowly uh, breaking the wall down. So we'll do an uh, episode on just Jaws itself at some point. Um, and they'll rewatch it for everyone's pleasure as they suffer. <laughs> But yeah, so 
So we talk about two movies within that subgenre. So for non-animal shark attacks, we talked about, I mean, non-shark animal attacks, we talked about Cujo and the birds. And we kind of track like the, the evolution of a trope over time. We generally try to take a lesser known film and a, a more classic film, kind of just talk about them. Okay, awesome. Any other thing you want to share with the audience? Yes. Uh, everyone keep listening to LP's podcast, Dog-Eared Nightmares. Thank you, Ryan, for coming on to Dog-Eared Nightmares. Thanks for having me, LP. This was fun. Um, I'm sorry that it's like so quick and stressful <laughs> for you. So I'm here with R.A. Busby, and we are um, connected in that we're both part of the My Dark Library series. Um, R.A. wrote a book called, or novella, excuse me, called Corporate Body. Um, but first, we're going to talk about R.A.'s journey into horror and writing horror. So, R.A., if you can talk to us about how you came into the horror community, that is like movies, books, um, big tent horror, and how you came to write horror. Well, I think, honestly, I, I, I can't remember a time when I didn't gravitate toward horror. And I think maybe because there's such a uh, a good pipeline between uh, childhood fairy tales, which are horrific, um, and um, and then you know then Stephen King and horror that you access really early on as you were describing like the Big Tent, um, and from there just my a lot of my studies in in college revolved around um, folks like Mary Shelley and Charlotte Perkins Gilman and, uh, and Henry James and the, some of the classic horror folks. And it's been a real pleasure of mine, um, to engage with, uh, living writers who are doing stuff to like yourself, like, like the other, my dark library folks. Um, and it's been a real joy to, uh, to participate in whatever, uh, minor fashion. So I know how my, what my experience was like, uh, becoming part of my dark library. What was your experience like? Were you, was this something you had targeted? Like you saw the call come out? Like when, when did this come onto your radar? Oh God, I saw the call come out. And at first I wasn't really sure if I should, if I should submit because I had a, a version of corporate body that was, um, that was so much shorter. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm really not, I, I'm really not sure if, if, if it would be their kind of thing. I don't know. Um, so I gave it a, so I gave it a shot and, uh, and, and Sadie responded. And, um, and so I, I was so overjoyed when, when I found out that they, that they wanted it because I mean, it's a weird little story about a guy who participates in a drug study and bad things happen to him. So it wasn't necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but I was so glad that, that, uh, that they liked it. This has come up a few times, uh, sometimes kind of outside of the podcast, but the, my dark library, those are all novellas. What was your word count? If you remember off the top of your head. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't remember. I apologize. I'm really, really, really bad with that kind of thing. Okay, so uh, I'll go ahead and take it from here. For so, if it's something you, you you're curious about, uh, Stargazers was twenty eight and a half thousand words. But I am curious for writing. So this is something you had ready to go when the submission call came down. Yeah, and it wasn't. Uh, I made it a little bit longer because I think that it was a bit short of uh, of the requested word count. But I was glad because it allowed me to flesh out 
um, some of the relationships and some of the ideas that that were there. Um, and, and I think it let it uh, I think that that made it breathe a little bit more if you if, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so I was uh, so I was actually glad to to have that opportunity, although I was worried that it was going to be, you know, overwritten or repetitive, you know, you know, how it goes. I know how it goes. Um, and you were the <laughs> were you, you were the final book, right? In the My Dark Library series. Yes, I was. And you what? were you were number one. As I, I was number one. So we're bookending that. So uh, what was that experience like for you? I loved seeing the I loved seeing the works come out and I loved seeing how every single one was was different, different in genre and appearance and focus. I mean, um, it, you and, and yet at the same time, they're all just they're all just wonderful. I haven't read every single one of them, um, but they, uh, but I'm, I'm kind of saving them up like, you you know, like Halloween treats that you want to make last because they're just wonderful. And I understand that they're going to be doing round two, which I think is, is great. And so I'm looking forward to, to those as well. I've heard that. I've heard there might be a, a novel version of this. I might hashtag Sadie in this and, and we'll see if we can get her input. But we've kind of talked about it. We've said the title a couple of times. Can you tell us about Corporate Body? Sure. Um, well, starting with the title, in many ways, it's sort of uh, it's sort of got a double meaning through the text because um, it's about this young uh, college student who is, like a lot of college students, uh, discovering that it's um, that all of a sudden he's gotten himself into a world of college debt that he can't repay with very little economic future, um, even in the STEM field that he's he's chosen, and so he starts odd jobbing it with. Um, I don't call it Craigslist in the novel for obvious reasons, but basically looking through uh, a version, fictionalized version of, of Craigslist for uh, for things that he can do. And that's when he runs across um, the potential for uh, a drug study. And it turns out that he's uh, that his hometown has a major uh, research facility where they're calling upon volunteers. And in my research, this is this is kind of a real thing, actually. It's um, they, they do have a whole, uh, they do have lots and lots of labs that are looking for, uh, for paid human volunteers to participate in drug studies. And some of this is coming out of personal experience because as a college student, that's something that I did to put bread on the table. Um, so in participating in this, he makes friends with, uh, this, this older, uh, this older guy whose name is Charlie. And he and Charlie kind of work together as a team, tipping each other off to good studies. And Charlie puts him on to this one that's worth just tons. I mean, there's a big commitment medically and in, in, in terms of time. But the payoff is huge. It's enough to just wipe his debt clean so that he can not only uh, go from living in the uh, the backyard shed that he's living in to maybe actually having a life, paying off debts making his dad proud of him which is super important to him and so he agrees to do this and he finds out that um it's a lot more involved than than he thought that it was uh was going to be and that's when that idea of a corporate body both a body that is not just yours but is um part of a mutual symbiosis and also one that is owned by a corporation starts to really um make itself really super clear so, so you just mentioned briefly, and I'm kind of interested to dig into this a little more, that this was an experience or at least something that in your college years that 
we have a, a correlation to? Oh, heck yeah. Well, because, you know, uh, and I want to start off by saying that I was very privileged to be able to go to college. I was very privileged to have any money at all from my parents and lots and lots and lots of folks can't say that. Um, that being said, I, uh, there, it was, it was tight financially a lot. And so, uh, one of the things that, that I did picking, you know, um, picking up tips from other people was, uh, was sell plasma, participate in drug studies to pretty much do anything to just like make it, uh, from month to month. And I sure like a lot of college students out there, I, sure ate a lot of ramen and you know do dollar store whatever on sale and was really glad to glad to have that when it was available so it's it's partly coming out of personal experience unfortunately i may be dating myself a bit here but i remember a time when a single bag of ramen at least in the commissary on the bases i lived on i'm an air force brat in addition to being in the air force now was seven cents so that's like i don't know is that is that accurate to your recollection i near the university where i went they, they were five for a dollar but okay um, not too far off yeah um so corporate body that capped the my dark library series um speaking personally you're the first person i think i've spoken to that is a, a my dark library alum so this is really oh, cool wow. that we get to, to chat. Um, I have a, another couple in mind I'd like to talk to, um, as you and I just spoke about uh, through direct messaging. But um, the experience to me or for me was um, awesome. I'm looking, for, looking forward to whatever comes up the next iteration of this. But I feel like for me, it kind of kickstarted whatever, wherever I'm at now, that definitely kickstarted that. So what has it meant for you? It it meant so much, to be honest with you. And I'm super, super grateful to Cemetery Gates and to and to Sadie and to Joe and everybody who really helped make this possible because um this is my um this is my first novella that's that's in that's in print, that's out there in the world. And you know, uh, and honestly, just just to just to make it that far and to make it with uh, among such talented folks in in that uh, in that novella series is genuinely is genuinely an honor and um and and it's it, it gives me real pride and also a feeling of just being overwhelmed with just gratitude honestly just seeing it on my shelf i can completely identify with that i'm, I'm looking off to the side here now you can't see me but i'm looking at uh I don't know, 50 stacks of my novella, um, Stargazers. <laughs> and I wouldn't be doing this podcast without having had that experience. So this is kind of the fun thing about doing something like this, where I put a random message on Twitter and uh, multiple people now have um, taken me up on this offer to talk about their books. Um, because honestly, and I will talk about this in the intro, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about it now. You don't have time to read everything you want to and to match kind of every interview with what you read. Um, some people are <laughs> inaccessible, you know, like I'm uh, thinking about the stuff I'm reading now. Uh, I, I can't land those people. My podcast isn't, isn't established enough to get a Stephen King, but 
and <laughs> talking about uh, connection that you and I have and it being my dark library. Also, you mentioned True Board Design, who I had no idea did corporate body. She also designed, or we worked together on the cover for my next short story collection, which comes out from Cemetery Gate. I'm sorry, Cemetery Dance Media, too many cemeteries. Uh, Cemetery Dance Media <laughs> next year. So we have another connection there. Trueborn Design did your cover. She also did my cover. That's awesome. Oh, how cool is that? I'm Well, please, uh, do you know the cover or, or, excuse me, I'm sorry, do you know the title of your upcoming collection yet? It is. Have you uh, settled on one? Yes, it's No Gods, Only Chaos. That's a great title. Oh, I will, I will absolutely keep an eye out and... You know, I, I, and believe me, it's 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 a pleasure to it's a pleasure to read longer works. But I love those little short hunches of a short story because you know, again, it's it's like that sort of bouquet of flowers effect where you where where it all comes together as a whole, but every single part of it is different. And I've heard a lot of longer fiction writers talk about how they struggle to write shorter fiction. So I think it really is a a skill. So kudos to you for pulling it off with corporate body. Um, if you don't mind, can you talk about what else we have to look forward to from RA? Well, in uh, coming up, um, either I'm I'm hoping uh, like a, I'm hoping early next year or maybe this maybe late this year, I'm having another book through Cemetery Gates uh, Media coming out, um, and this one it, it's very very different in many ways. It's can it's called Words Made of Flesh. Um, and it's sort of a mashup of, gosh, what would you, it's hard to describe it in many ways. It's, it's kind of like Henry James, um, meets, uh, Henry James meets Lovecraft, uh, but it's, uh, but it's weirder and it has essentially to do with, um, it starts in one of those clubs where people tell stories to each other, just like at the, you know, at the beginning of, uh, turn of the screw I mean, it's a classic uh entree but the relationship between the person who's telling the story and his principal listener um evolves over the course of the narrative and as we learn about this um unusual book that is bound in uh living human skin and what it does and what it's for so it was a real pleasure to to visit that at that sort of back in time a world where, which I set in New Bedford, a city that I that I definitely love. Um, so I'm looking forward to it, and I hope other folks like it as well. I got a little bit lost there, just kind of visualizing everything you were talking about. So uh, <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, but happy, happily, have you back on the podcast to talk about that when it comes out. And I want to take a minute to thank Joe from Cemetery Gates, who is really the best of the best. I. Uh, I harass him on D in DMs on Twitter. <laughs> I would say weekly, if not daily. Um, and the people that he has um, endorsed, they they run the gamut from little fledgling authors to very well established authors. Cemetery Gates is uh, if you're not supporting them, please do. Um, my experience with them has been as an author, as a writer, fantastic like across the board from beginning to end i didn't feel like a real author until i worked with them so i don't know if you want to kind of add anything to that but 
I absolutely love Cemetery Gate. I do too. And I, every single thing that you said about, uh, about Joe, especially I didn't about not feeling like a real author until you work with them. Um, I, you know, it's, it, it, that, that first sort of novel length or novella length work, I think is, is always going to stand out in the life of, of any author. And I am honored that they, that they wanted to work with me and then that they wanted to work with me again. Um, because I, you know, again, the 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 wide variety of of works that they have in their catalog, and that that they're um, and the guidance that they're that they're willing to provide to to authors is is just spectacular, and I I really feel so supported by them, and um, and again, very very grateful. So um, my previous episode was Gemma Moore, who has uh, I've lost track of, but she works with Cemetery Gates extensively. And um, I think what you get with a small press like that is somebody who cares about the genre, but mm -hmm. they're not going to necessarily change your vision for your work. So um, I, re I recall, let me just uh, kind of reflect a little bit. I've never felt comfortable talking about myself in my own podcast, but I'm going to just briefly. Um, about five Please years do. ago, so maybe you, you can interview me after this you can ask me a question but <laughs> it, it was five or six years ago you know I've had some success on no sleep podcasts I've had some other things and I remember kind of googling around looking for small press indie horror seeing cemetery gates and like man I'd love to work with him someday in addition to like perpetual motion machine publishing which became foolish books mm -hmm. and apocalypse party all these other ones and so now through perseverance and failing to be here saying like, yeah, I can text or not text. I'm sorry. Right. Joe from cemetery gates. And we can talk about future projects or stuff that we've done and, and that I'm on their roster is just, it means the world. If um, you're someone that's in the, in that position now, wondering where you should go. I'm not suggesting you contact cemetery gates specifically I'm saying that um, if the talent is there, passion, that you will find your place eventually. Um, I've been do I've been writing since I was nine, and I didn't <laughs> find myself until I was about 35, 36 maybe. So I'm not sure how closely that aligns with RA you talked about. I believe the second grade, and you know, as far as you know, and once you kind of get on the other side of that. And you've been published by one of these, um, you know, independent publishers like Cemetery Gates, Cemetery Dance, um, Ghoulish, stuff like them. You kind of start to form a community where you talk to each other and like, hey, maybe you should stay away from this person. I have never heard a single bad word about Joe or Cemetery Gates. What, is that your experience no. too? I I have never I've never heard one anything but just praise and support and as uh, and deserved and um and i really i i really value that um because i think that this is it's a tight-knit community and yet a welcoming one not one that uh that it, uh, that closes its cemetery gates as it were uh but welcomes people uh to the party um and that that feeling of um inclusion and support i think is is vital to the whole horror community that you know we we need to have we need to support each other we need to 
have each other's backs. And I think that they absolutely do. And I, um, I am, I, I value that, um, whether or not I would be working with them, I still value that because that means that they're really there for authors and there for readers. And that means the world to me. I can't add anything, add anything to that. Um, cause you said it perfectly. So I will just wrap this interview up. R.A., thank you for taking me up on this weird offer to talk about your book um, on a random Saturday night. Uh, we are the bookends to My Dark Library. So shout out to Sadie Hartman as well. Uh, I've talked about her in previous podcasts. Um, I, I don't know if I've talked about her enough. She is someone who made me believe I could do this. I hope that your experience was similar and that you've gotten the feedback that you deserve for Corporate Body. Well, she's absolutely instrumental in doing exactly exactly that. And, you know, I think that her title of Mother Horror is really well chosen because you feel like she's like like a good mom. She's there to support you and to to uh, to help you be your best self. And I really value that a lot. Um, and I'm going to look up your uh, your story on no sleep. So uh, pretty much as soon as we're done. So I'm looking forward to that, too. I think I have like 17 on no sleep, but um, since, okay, since I have you, uh, <laughs> all right. So this is what I just said. I'm not comfortable with, but I'm going to talk about myself for a minute. Um, there's a few that I'm super proud of. So we'll start with a sun downtown season 16. A sun downtown. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. The hole in the great grass sea season 16. Oh, cool. I love that title. Thank you. Uh, there is the Rat King that's on the pay side, so no worries if you don't get to it. Knocking After Midnight, season 16 as well. And then I'm kind of all over the map. I think season 11 was my first, if I remember correctly. Um, some are on the pay side, some are on the free side. And hey, RA, like, yes. send me a message when you're done. Like, listen to that and then let me know. Because like once, once the seasons pass, everybody's all about the new stuff, but I'd love to hear about some of the old stuff that I've written. So thank you, RA, for, for joining me today. Um, we've kind of chatted a bit and I've, I've had you on my radar to talk to you at some point. I appreciate that you're willing to indulge me on this experiment. I can't, what, what you described for your future work, I can't wait to dive into it and hopefully we can get back together for that one. Same. And thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I, I would suggest for the career, for your own mental health, if it's possible for you financially or logistically, go to one of these cons, meet your people, be around them. Zach, do you have anything to add to that? Honestly, um, you just find, honestly, the conventions have helped me out so much. They're just such great places to meet uh, like-minded people. Um, they're just really just fantastic spots to connect with folks. It, it's like you really just feel in your element because so many people there are just like you. You have people who are normally shy in crowds, but at the end of the day, you know, we're all there. We love books. We love horror. We love talking about horror. We love reading horror and writing horror. So it's re it really is just a great place to kind of shed that. You kind of see like a lot of your favorite writers are just, you know, ordinary people just like you. You can share drinks with them and hang out and just talk about, you know, various things and they're just so many times they're just super cool people like you mentioned brian keen is someone i consider like a mentor and a friend and he was one of the most welcoming people into like who kind of just welcomed me into this community and i've hung out with brian i've had drinks with brian 
I've heard a lot of Brian's stories, and he's just a profoundly cool, down-to-earth guy who loves talking about this stuff. And, you know, you you just meet so many different, you, you will make friends for life who you just never, you never would have expected it. Um, it has helped out so much with confidence and with writing and just being able to like, you know, and you, you will see anyone from people getting their start to best-selling writers, and they are just all cool, down-to-earth folks. And it's just so much fun. And honestly, it can open up like a lot of opportunities for you too. Like, you know, you'll, uh, you'll see people who will tell you, like, I'm opening for submissions, you know, over here. And, um, oh, uh, maybe we should write something together. You know, you, you never know what will happen. It's always, wor- it's always worth trying out. You were talking about Brian Keene, and that is someone who uh, definitely made me feel welcome slash established in the community because a lot of this is this journey is self-doubt very recently he uh, actually at StokerCon, he uh saw me at the bar actually let me deviate for a second yeah no, if, you're at a, if you're at a con and you're wondering where all the authors are go to the bar yes is that your experience 100 percent. you will always find people hang out and talk and shop at the bar at author con um you know, everyone is staying, like, a lot of the times people are staying in the venues, like, right there. So, you know, th- there's no worry about driving. Everyone can just walk back to their rooms. You will always find them hang out at the bar. It is so much fun. Walk slash stumble back to their rooms. So, um, I-, I think I mentioned this in the previous interview, which Zach was not privy to, privy to so he's just going to kind of nod along as I talk. My intent with this podcast is not to talk about myself, but to engage readers and talk to writers about my experience and um these professional organizations like hwa these events like AuthorCon, they are vital to the next step in your career i went to um AuthorCon with this really strange idea of i've created this entire book myself like i not not myself i didn't design the cover i outsourced people to help me put this book together so that's a cover design that is interior design and i presented a completed work to various people that was imperative to my deal with cemetery dance uh that you know the prestige or whatever you want to call it of cemetery dance resulted in my interaction with Brian Keene, which is now a blurb on that book. And none of that would have happened had I not been present at either of those events. So kudos to those people who um, are well-established in the genre that will put their neck out and endorse a young, or damn, I'm 40. I'm not young. Will, (laughs) Zach, how old are you? 34. Okay, all right. We're not as far as apart as I, I thought. We're not okay. that far. We're 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 we're, st- we're still the new young writers, as far as I'm concerned. All right. Thank you for that. So <laughs> the people that will put their neck out for young writers like me and Zach, hey, and kind of you know push us to the next level, give their endorsement. Those cons have been vital for that. So I've met Zach at two of them, and. We're here today to talk about The Long Shalom, which is his most recent yes. novella. Um, but I, you know, peripherally, just seeing him interact with people and talking to him directly, 
got to know Zach as a person a bit. And he is claims to be an introvert. I I, I doubt it. I'm sorry. Um, because <laughs> um, having been around him and just seeing how personable he is, how everybody seems to know him, he is one of those people that will pull you off of the wall, you know, those wallflowers. I'm a wallflower. And I feel like when I see Zach, every time he passes by, I'm seeing a friend. And it's just been those kind of peripheral interactions. But I guarantee you, the next time I see Zach at... Is it going to be at SoferCon in San Diego? I am definitely going to be there. I am also going to be at AuthorCon. And if I can swing it, this one's not definite, but I'm going to try to do ghoulish. Do ghoulish. You can stay in I my house. The, okay. That's, that's okay. That sounds amazing. You know what? I think I got to do ghoulish then. Thank you. All right. This is, a, I guess it's a, if it's on a podcast, it's official. <laughs> Zach Rosenberg is staying in my house and he's coming to Ghoulish. All right. Uh, this is, you think you have a deal. All right. And then I'll take you around San Antonio. I got all the best. I would for love to see San Antonio. Where I've gotten to. Yes, you do have to have to have the talent. You have to have the stories or the story behind you to get you to that level. But you meet people who you've only known because you've picked their their books up in a bookstore now they're standing in front of you or publishers who are i don't want to consider them or present them as gatekeepers these are real human beings who you can have interactions yep. with and whether or not it's fruitful for you that you can talk to these people um it can give you so much uh confidence in your next step if it is this isn't the right fit for me, or I'm at the level these people are accepting currently. Wherever your journey is as a writer, these conferences, these cons are vital. So I've talked enough about I will, Oh yeah, no, I mean, just, just to back that up, I will just say like, honestly, you know, even aside from like what it can do for your career, you can just meet some amazing friends. Like, you know, Kevin Lucia from Cemetery Dance is such a great guy. He's so much fun to talk to and hang out with. Um, I have one friend. She is a uh, edit. She's an editor at a pretty uh, major, major, um, you know, like house right now. You know what? I've sent her stuff. She's never taken it. It's always just a matter of you know, like fit and voice she's looking for right now. But she is one of the coolest, kindest, best human beings on the planet. You know, it it does it does not affect a single thing. You know, like I know one day I'll send her something and she'll like it and she'll accept it. And until then, you know, we play Dungeons and Dragons together. We're good friends. She is just a, <clears throat> the most supportive person. And, you know, it's like we, we're always cheering for one another too. That's awesome to hear. I didn't mean to talk about this more, but I'm going to just because he mentioned the name and maybe I'll, I'll tag him in this episode because now I'm, I'm talking about him, but my journey with getting published with Cemetery Dance was this completed work, which True Born Design, I've talked about her previously in this episode, Corporate Body with R.A. Busby, um, worked with the cover on her, found this you know, awesome interior guy who, who kind of put the whole book together with my vision and presented it. Lots of steps along the way. That ended up with Cemetery Dance based on my connections I made at AuthorCon. So they were the first among many that said yes. I'm not saying that all of them would have said yes. They were just the first. 
and being a Cemetery Dance fanboy because I love Robert Robert McCammon among others. Yes, to be published by them is um, it's the honor of my writing lifetime to this point. So I had an idea to have Zach on after I finished reading the Long Shalom. I have started the Long Shalom, but I have not finished it. Zach, before we get into the Long Shalom, talk about your yep. relationship to horror, and then we'll kind of pivot from there into the Long Shalom. Gladly. So my my journey in horror really started when I was when I was a kid. Um, I don't remember like what specifically the driving thing was that got me into horror. Um, it might have partially been Jurassic Park, which is the first movie I really remember seeing when I was uh, when it first came out. Um, just like the whole first sequence of the raptor pulling the guy into the cage and the raptor hunting the kids, you know, through the uh, through the kitchen, like that stuff, you know, resonated with me. But um, really from there it was uh, you know my my uncle always had like a bunch of tapes that were like the old um universal stuff so i would see like dracula and the wolfman and all you know like all that stuff around and um you know from there it was really um i got into things like uh goosebumps like i think i pulled one of them off at a book fair one time and rl stein was you know rl stein meant a whole lot to me like i would read book after book after book of goosebumps and fear street and i would read like the uh, the, the teen versions before i could I, I before i should have been reading you know teen versions and from there it was you know going on to like all the uh like the little takeoffs at the time like a uh, christopher pike and you know uh bone chillers and you know then it was reading more and more stuff and it um you know and edgar Allan poe in uh in high school and the short stories there and there was just, you know, from there, from there, it was just like so much different stuff. Like, all there were all kinds of movies and TV shows. Like, uh, I would sneak watch things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer on TV or, uh, you know, like watch like late night horror movies when they were on. You know, like uh, some channels used to play like the full moon features or I would watch, um, you know, like some of the big ones I saw in the theater. Two of the bigger ones. Um, I saw The Ring with my father, you know, um, when that first came out and The Others with my grandfather which um, some of the, some of these were really just kind of formative for me. And it was really from there um, just sneak, you know, I, I, I couldn't tell you like what combination of like, which ones led to led, led to so-and-so because I was just watching so many. There's only like a very few that like really still stick out in my head. But from there um, it was really just always a matter of going on and on and, you know, reading and watching more stuff and just hearing about them and reading reviews and, you know, just checking out like so many different books. It, um, Obviously, there was, you know, Stephen King after a while. I, I can't remember what my first Stephen King was. I think um, it might have been like I, I saw the Shining miniseries. And from there, it was watching, you know, more uh, uh, more stuff. I didn't um, I can't remember like what my first real King book was, but it might have been the Dead Zone. But okay. really from there, um, you know, and from there, um, as I got older, I would get into stuff like uh, Clive Barker and you know watching more and more stuff in the horror network and just pulling things out from you know the library that because all of it was free um and you know I didn't I, I could just do that myself without having to worry about uh you know like my parents checking out what I was getting at uh the at the you know like Blockbuster or something <laughs> so um really from there it was uh kind of you know like horror was just really always there for me and it was always something I was just able to you know have some comfort in and just really enjoy um, I know one that like made a big impression on me for like um, I think like my first like real historical horror, which gave me a real interest in, in it. I saw um, Ravenous one night on like the Sci-Fi Channel, which just captivated me as a film. It was just 
so much it, it was scary it was funny it was historical it was well shot it was you know it had a meaning that i didn't even grasp fully till later on and really from the um you know um i kind of felt I, I did some writing it wasn't that good i kind of fell away from it after a while i just kind of started like a year and a half ago just being like hey i should start writing my own stuff again like i had some stuff on fiction press and you know a friend and i were working on a uh, fantasy book together but i was like hey let's let's write some horror stuff especially like uh Jewish horror because I don't see too much of that and you know it just really started uh, branching off and after a bit um, it was just started getting some acceptances started getting some other stuff and Long Shalom was kind of a fortunate uh, happenstance to me because when that happened was um, Off Limits Press who had I known from things like uh, The Worm and His Kings and Tim McGregor's Heart Strange and Dreadful and uh, Laurel Hightower's Crossroads they um, were having a whole, they were having a thing on a uh, pulp, st- um, pulp stories where it was, you know, send us a pitch. So um, I ended up sending a pitch and it was almost late because I had so much going on in Florida and, you know, uh, but they were very nice about it. I sent it in. I was like, you know, how about this idea of a, um, you know, I always loved like old detective stuff and film noir, like the Maltese Falcon and uh, out of the past and uh, the long goodbye and, you know, like Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett. Um, so basically I picked that up and I just had the idea of like, why don't we do this and make it Jewish and blend it with a few of my favorite, like contemporary, uh, like horror writers, like, uh, Laird Barron is one of my all time favorites. And, you know, he's just incredible. So like his idea of the cosmic horror was something that influenced me in that. And from there, um, everything just really kind of came together with this outline. And I get an email back a few days later, basically saying from, a off limits saying, Hey, we are so excited for this. We want to see it. Um, how soon can you write it? And I was like, okay, I got to get on this book. Um, and I sent it to them. And then like a week later, um, this was, you know, my second one that was uh, signed for, um, they kind of emailed me back saying like, Hey Zach, we've read your book. Uh, can, can you, can you call me? And I'm like, Oh my God. And my girlfriend at the time is like, she's like, look, they're not like, if you want to talk to you, you got it. So uh, from there, it was, you know, it was a great experience editing with them. It was a great experience with everything. And things just ended up, you know, working out just better than I could have ever have hoped. And here I am now. That's an incredible story. When you said a year and a half ago, I I, I didn't fall out of my seat because I'm, I'm pretty secure in the seat I, I'm in right now. But so I want to pivot a bit to the writers who listen to this because that is hopefully a, a big portion of my audience of varying levels of success. I've been trying at this for 30 years and, and find your moment. You can be like Zach, who with a good story, with talent, perseverance, the right connections, all of these things culminating to produce a product like the Long Shalom. Um, there's so much chance in this industry I will speak to myself or for myself that there was a period where I was in a like a review group where we would kind of talk about we would send each other's work back and forth and blah blah blah. I sent something that was more in the humor kind of um, spectrum than horror, and the response I got was so painful. I stopped writing for probably five or six years. You have to understand that's a single person's perspective. Yes. And and Zach is a perfect example of that and someone who has had the talent for so long 
and very quickly took that talent and made it into a product that you can buy right now and and become a fan of. Um, I'm so excited for you as like a, I don't know, can we call ourselves friends at this point? I don't know. Absolutely. All right. All right. As a friend Absolutely. that you have taken um, your talent and shared it with the world and also done something important for Jewish horror. It does feel like Jewish horror is having a moment. Let's talk about that briefly before we get into the long shalom. Absolutely. Um, you know, like, honestly, it's something I've like really studied, um, you know, like oh, I, I could like write an academic essay on it almost um, where, you know, Jewish horror um, has kind of been around for a very long time. Um, you had people who, you know, like early Jewish writers were writing uh, plays in like the late 19th century about their, you know, like about their folklore and heritage. Um, for a long time, though, it really just, you know, obvious, um, obviously everything that happens in World War II kind of devastated the worldwide Jewish community. Um, there was, you know, the Holocaust and the refuge crisis and the refugee crisis. Um, a lot of that ended, you know, um, for a long time, Jewish horror really became um, almost entirely about Nazis. And it's easy to see why. Um, kind of something that kind of hit me um, for a while was so many Jewish horror writers were kind of like accepting more of a Christian worldview, like a lot of it, like stuff like Rosemary's baby um, was just kind of like, oh, it's the son of Satan, um, the son of Satan, who is, you know, um, assaults me a Pharaoh and, you know, try and to create the Antichrist. And, you know, that's a very um, that's not really like Jewish folklore there. Um, really kind of what a few things that changed it for me. Um, I read a book, which I'm not by a Jewish writer, but it, um, it's called The Keep by F. Paul Wilson, if you know that one. But the what really stuck out to me is the heroes, uh, there, there, there are several heroes, one of them, um, Magda and her father, they are uh, Jewish. And not only are they Jewish, um, their Jewishness is very much a part of the plot to the point that they are, um, the villain is kind of like a, um, he's pretending to be a vampire in that story. And he's pretending that he's being um, driven away by a cross, which provokes a crisis of faith in Magda's father, who's a professor. And it, it was addressing kind of Judaism in a way that I had never really seen done to the point that like, wait, when we say vampire, like what does it mean when we say vampires are just automatically repulsed by a cross? What does that mean for, you know, Jewish people and Jewish folklore? And from there, you know, like you said, and then it kind of opened my eyes a lot about things like, you know, golems and looking and looking around there. And for a while, um, Jewish horror kind of uh, changed a lot of kind of there was a big one it didn't make much of a splash when it came out it came back because um, because of Valancourt books who do incredible work um, it's a 1982 book called The Tribe which deals with Jewish folklore and Jewish characters and Jewish culture and I'm not really a huge fan of The Tribe although I respect uh, what it does it's kind of like it has in my opinion like probably one of the best heroines I've ever read in horror and I just wish um, it took it really reached more potential because it has like probably the best heroine and one of the worst heroes I would argue. Um, and I uh, but also from there um, I watched movies like um, The Unborn and The Possession and I just kind of absolutely hated them because they were really really bad in a lot of ways. And um, The Possession has done like I think immense damage to like Jewish horror along the way because everyone thinks like part of it what it does is like part of Jewish folklore when it's not. 
But what really kind of altered it for me um, was a movie called The Vigil, um, where I came. That, that came out just a few years ago, and it was so Jewish in its construction. Its characters are Jewish. Its writers are Jewish. It's Jewish folklore. It's intergenerational trauma. It deals with different sects of Judaism and anti-Semitism. And it's just such a brilliant horror movie that anyone could watch aside from that. Um, so that just was just such a eye opener for me. Um, and from there, I read, I got into people like uh, John Baltusberger has been doing incredible stuff. He runs Madness Heart Press, which I really recommend everyone check out. Um, and he writes just fantastic stuff about Jewish folklore. Um, Elena Gomel, Jillian Daniels, um, the Jewish Book of Horror, edited by Josh Schlossberg, um, Brenda, Brenda Tolian, Richard Dansky is one of my heroes. He's just such a great guy. He was at StokerCon and AuthorCon. And he has um, a series of stories about like a Jewish pirate rabbi um, dealing with like threats on the high seas from Jewish folklore called the Red Palash stories which are just fantastic. Um, and there is, there, 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 there is more than there ever was. Like just in the last year, um, the attachment on Shudder is something I really recommend, uh, Blood Relative. Um, there's still some stuff that kind of uses Jewish folklore, but you can kind of tell when they're not like really getting it quite right. Like I would say The Offering uh, was one of those. It's, not, it's definitely not a bad movie, but it's not getting, but you know, it's what happens when, you know, you miss certain things. Um, the Offering, uh, Lullaby, which is, pretty mediocre but it, like it you know uses jewish stuff more um but yeah you just have a lot but you have a lot more and i think that's certainly um coming out a lot and one guy um who was kind of a real influence to me on that front who said who said something very interesting was uh josh mallerman who brought up um he did an interview with uh, becky spratford about like what constitutes jewish horror and what what he's basically saying it's like you know um is anything just written by a jewish writer jewish horror because um, his book Daphne um, is very much kind of an ode to uh, anxiety um, as a metaphor, as me as a metaphor, and I was like, you know, this is like really. Um, it, it never explicitly spells out that its leads like Kit, like Kit, are Jew are Jewish, but it's very easy to envision them that way, and it's just really a fantastic, brilliant book. And something he said that really stuck with me, where he said, um, you know, like we have one Dybbuk story for every ninety nine Holocaust stories. And it's easy to see why, but there should be more like, you know, it's, it's, it's not that we shouldn't tell those stories, but we should definitely tell more. And that led to me doing more research into like traditional folk tales um, and stuff like that. And, you know, like just what I found out was just really amazing. There was just this whole breath. And one thing that actually shocked me was there was um, a movie from a few years ago, uh, well, more than a few years ago now, from Tim Burton, uh, The Corpse Bride, which, you know, I'm sure some people have you know heard of which was actually based on a Jewish folktale called The Finger, that they actually, and they said this in interviews, they intentionally removed all the Jewish stuff from it so it could have a quote-unquote wider appeal. And that kind of made me go like, wait, that's not right. Like, you know, like, why would Jewish, you know, just tr immediately translate to not having a critical appeal? And that made, you know, that led to me writing more and trying to adopt, you know, Jewish themes and culture and, you know, characters who weren't um, stereotypical in a sense, like, you know, of the Woody Allen variety, um, and just kind of try to tell more of those stories, like not just Dybbuk's or Golem's, although I love Dybbuk's and Golem's, I've tried to do those too, 
you know, um, is it easy all the time? Like, absolutely not. Um, I realize I've had uh, more fortune and success than, you know, a lot of other writers um, who of, of a lot of other writers in the contemporary time. And, you know, I'm very grateful for that. But you do run a risk of, especially when you're writing minority culture, of things not being understood. And that does happen sometimes. Or it's just not the right fit at that time. Um, and it's just really a matter of one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from Usman Malik, who is an incredible writer himself, where it's not just talent, it's endurance. And, you know, that is some of the best advice I ever got. Like, you know, sometimes you get like the rejections that really upset you. Like, you've been shortlisted and it's you're almost there and you're sure you're going to get it. And then, you know, they didn't have space for your stuff and, you know, it just didn't make it. And it's okay to be disappointed with that. It's okay to like, you know, vent a little in the private channel, like, oh, I'm really upset. Like, but, you know, it's, it's really important to go back to it and, uh, you know, and keep writing, write something new, try to find a new home. You never, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, there was a story um, that found a home at the magazine of fantasy and science fiction now, um, where that was actually rejected like six times from uh from the places where I where I was sending them, and you know, one one was a really good spot that said something I just did not agree with, and I just didn't change a word. I sent it out to uh, fantasy and science fiction, and you know, when I was in the airport getting back from StokerCon, I thought it was just going to be the usual form rejection. I'm like, wait, oh my god, am I reading this right? So yeah, I mean, you just you never. It's always um, and you know, my first book, Hunger is as Old as Land, was the Jewish weird western. I, I got that deal by by literally by sending that out for a short story call. And they got back to me saying, hey, we really enjoy this, but we think you can do a lot more with it. Would you like to turn it into a book? And that was just really a no-brainer. You just never know what's going to happen. And it's always just a matter of writes, always thinking about the next thing you're going to write, the next book, the next story, and always be trying to map it to get it out there. Sometimes, you know, you might not make it at the, at the pro venture. Sometimes you might find a home at a, you know, uh, one cent a word pub small publication or a one cent a word, you know, anthology. But in my opinion they're all worthwhile to get your name out there. And, you know, you, you can never tell what story will resonate with someone and what's going, um, like what pitch you're going to send that will do well and what your, um, what story that someone's going to have eyes on and what story someone's going to love. One of my really good friends, he published um, a story on Godless uh, that is now in Ellen Datlow's best horror of the year. So always take the, always take the shot. There's no one who's going to hold it against you. Even if they don't accept it. Zach, uh, what I'm getting from that is we need to have a full interview. We need like an hour and a half to talk. Um, I would as, love to. Yeah, we will. And we will. So many things came to mind as you were speaking. You were talking about, I'm only going with the most recent thing I thought of and talking about writing from a minority perspective. And I can sympathize with that or empathize. Um, you know, you've got the name Rosenberg on your book mm -hmm. and for me, I my dad left when I was five, so the name Hernandez is just me. I'm kind of holding down the fort of that last name. So there is a a strange I wouldn't call it pressure, but you, you know, you do kind of hold the banner with a name like Rosenberg, just like I do with Hernandez. And whatever you write is going to, in addition to its broad criticism, is going to be judged in this other context. So, man, Zach, I really want to dig into that with you, but I also want you to talk about the long shalom, yes. um, because as you were talking about that, I was just like, there is this kind of this, I don't know if it's self-imposed or societal pressure to produce stories that resonate with a certain audience 
and I can't speak to your own experience, but to me, it is, um, I don't want to call it peripheral to my existence because that trivializes it. It is an experience I've dipped in and out of. Um, I'm going to put that to the side for the moment because yes, the long shalom, let's talk about that. Um, let's start even with the cover art because it's so good. Let's just talk. Let's just start there and then dive into the story. Absolutely. Well, let me give a shout out to Adrian, uh, Adrian Medina, AA uh, Medina, who was my cover artist on this. And I could not have asked for better. It captures the character so perfectly. Um, I just told him what I wanted. And that, that was that it was pretty much almost perfect from the start. Um, there was just like one or two little fixes and that, that was it, but he nailed it so well. It is just, it's, it's such a noir, it's such a noir cover. And it meant so much to me to have, you know, the picture of Alan with the star of David right front and center on there. So um, if you've seen the cover, you kind of, you understand what we're talking about. Um, there is a lot of cover art that in a respect, not to disrespect the artist or the, the vision, but you kind of look at it and then your eyes kind of move on to the next thing. Um, when I saw the long shalom, like there's so much to kind of explore. It's a kind of a feast for the eyes. So if you can, Zach, talk about how the cover relates to the kind of just pivot into the story itself. Now, this is, Absolutely. I will be honest, a story that I've started, but I didn't realize in starting a podcast that <laughs> I have to read quite as much as I have. So I'm reading about 10 books right now. The Long Shalom is one of them. I promise it's actually on my screen behind 10 other windows <laughs> I have right now. But it's all, uh, it's all good, man. Starts off in, a, in pure noir style in a detective's office. And Zach, take it away from there. Yeah. So um, when you look at the cover art, you see these great colors. I wanted it to capture like the city and the and like the spe the speeding cars and like you know just the the glitz and the glamour. And you know it's set in the nineteen twenties. Uh, you know it's the uh, the you know the roaring twenties before the uh, right before the big stock market crash. And you know it's a New York that is corrupt and ruled by you know the and the mob reigns on the street. The cops are on the take can't trust uh you know the uh can't trust people in power uh racist structures are very much are very much still in effect and it starts with alan aldenberg who is on the front and cover and alan is a jewish detective he's a private eye who is down on his luck he's in a cold office when it starts off wondering how he's going to keep the lights on and alan is a war veteran from world war one and kind of his backstory is he killed someone by accident defending uh, friends of his who and you know no one really cared about his side of the story even if it was self-defense so he was facing the death penalty and kind of the jewish mob reached out to him led by uh, arnold rothstein who was a historical figure at the time who was a major figure in um early organized crime who basically said hey you know we will pull the strings and get you off the rap if you come work for us so Alan um, ended up as an enforcer and hitman for the Jewish mob. And come a few years later, he has broken away from them. And he's always kind of living with the fear that they will, you know, come to silence him one day. But when it opens up, um, his old girlfriend and childhood friend, uh, Erica Nakamura, who's half Jewish, half Japanese, she knocks on the door and she basically brings up, there are um, people who uh, have been missing, people the cops aren't going to miss. 
and I need your help to fix it. You're the detective. Uh, the two of them are very estranged, but he agrees because he needs the money. And he be he learns very, very quickly that there's something more than more and less than human going on. There's um, corruption. There's the mob. There is um, there is dark forces at bay. There's um, all kinds of different uh, creatures around. Like he runs into uh, golems at one point, and there is a a real kind of I won't spoil it for people, but there is a very, very, very dangerous threat that has a very long history with Alan's people and has come back to extract some vengeance. And the very a lot of it was I would describe it as kind of a mix up between um, you know, Raymond Chandler and uh, Laird Barron and P. Jelly Clark, who wrote Ring Shout, which is a fantastic book. I really recommend people check out. Um, and it's just a very Jewish story and kind of the heroes. There's Alan, um, who you see on the cover with the Jewish star. Erica, who is uh, wearing the trench coat. She is Alan's uh, old flame, and she's got, like, secrets of her own. There is uh, Lenore with the gun, and Lenore is a former army buddy of, their, of theirs who's a trans woman, and she is just, she's a great shot and a total badass, so I try to write her as. And Roger, who is a, Roger McAllister, who is also a former soldier, and, um, you know, he is black, he is extremely marginalized, and his family is missing in the, uh, in what is going on. And the cops have obviously put zero effort into locating a black woman and child in that point in New York. So Erica has kind of gathered them as a fellowship being like, you know, these are people who would in some way be vilified or, um, Vil or even vil or you know like villainized or just um written as horrible stereotypes and a lot of these old pulps like as much as i love that stuff um it was kind of a given to me at times like if i was pulling something open from a certain era i kind of had to brace myself so you know uh trans people lgbt people uh jewish people asian people um it was kind of like take make them front and center give them the power and make them the heroes i appreciate you taking me up on this offer to kind of um my Off pleasure. the cuff, yeah, talk about your novella. Everything he said fits inside of novella, uh, a novella, excuse me, if you can believe that. Um, yep. And there's so much more you, you kind of touched on that I'd love to have a, a deeper conversation about. Zach is someone that I hope people will support based off of not only his writing, but who he is as a person. Zach, uh, of yes. course, I follow you on Twitter. Uh, I follow you uh, uh, everywhere. You have been announcing things uh, pretty frequently. What do you have All coming right. out? All right. So um, I have some various short stories. I'm really looking forward to people seeing. Um, there's a few I've just uh, signed a few contracts for recently. Um, there is one coming out. Um, I'm waiting for the contract now, but I got an acceptance to a magazine of fantasy and science fiction recently, which I'm really proud of that one. Uh, that one... Um, the one of the most personal stories um, I've ever written, which ended up uh, being very relevant for when it was accepted. It is coming out in the September issue of the Deadlands called Sitting Shiva. And recently I just signed a few contracts. I have one coming out with Off Limit Press's Make Your Presence Known because I love ghost stories and a couple for uh, Atomic Carnival's um, Open All Night and Greater Than His Nature anthologies. Um, there's one I just signed that I, you know, can't talk about just yet um, because they asked me to keep it secret. Can you tell me after? But it's a really, I will totally tell you after. Okay. But it is a really cool anthology. I'm really excited about it. Um, there's going to be some great people who I know are invited. 
And um, I've got one book with kind of a dream publisher. I'm waiting for them to kind of get, a, you know, be able to take a look at it. Um, I have a few other books I'm working on that I have little places I want to submit them. Um, but book-wise coming out, um, I have some secret stuff in the works. Um, there's one we kind of talked about, but haven't uh, signed, like, we haven't done the formal stuff yet. Like, I've told, you know, it's basically a formality, but me and friend are going to be writing that together. Um, but next year, I will have a Jewish Gothic um, coming out that I will describe as a crossover between Crimson Peak, Carmilla, and uh, Gaslight, but just make it Jewish. That is going to be with Brigid's Gate, called The Unquiet Grave. And a little earlier than that, it will be with Darklit Press, and I just got a sneak peek at the cover art today, and it is mind-blowing. Um, a Jewish pirate uh, horror um, called The Devils and the Deep Blue Sea, where I'm kind of trying to do a little more in this world, because I was like, hey, you know, Jewish sword and sorcery isn't really a thing. I'm going to try to do more with that. Uh, you know, Richard Dansky beat me to the whole Jewish pirate thing beforehand, but I'm going to still try to do it. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I will have uh, more to announce soon. Um, there's, you know, like some people I love um, and just between us, you know, uh, they, my publishers want me to do a sequel to hungers as old as this land. So I'm going to be working on that. And, you know, there might be a sequel for the long Shalom in the work. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, thinking about that as well. So if you're a fan of horror in general, uh, Jewish horror, even peripherally, stay tuned to everything Zach has coming out. Thank you, Zach Rosenberg, for joining me on this strange little experiment I did. Thank you so much, Les. This is, this is a blast. Well, that was fun. The idea for this came from me recognizing that there is more horror fiction produced then there are podcasts available for for those authors um, to kind of get the word out about it um, so thank you to all of the authors who took me up on this idea um, there were several more who messaged me kind of after the roster filled up so I will reach back out to you uh, the next time I do this and just keep an eye out because I do want to make this a I won't say a I will say a regular thing in that I will continue to do it. I don't know right now the frequency um, in which I'm going to do this. But um, I hope you had fun. If you end up picking up one of these books we talked about, let the authors know um, that you heard about it on Dog-Eared Nightmares, um, just so that they know it was worth their time to um, to come onto my show. So uh, that's it for now. Uh, I appreciate um, the feedback I've received for, for this podcast and we'll see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.